0: I gave you a sheet, which we're going to look at in a couple of minutes, because the prayer that Paul prays, starting with verse 9, is one of the most magnificent prayers in the Bible. And I really want to spend time on that. But we're not quite done with the Thanksgiving section, which starts with verse 3. We started that, we got into it last week, but didn't quite finish it. I'm not going to go through all of the the introductory material. Uh, I hope you remember some of that. And uh, just maybe two things just to recall. One, Paul is writing this from prison. It's one of his prison epistles. And secondly, this is a city that Paul never visited. He did not plant the church there. It is Epiphras, or sometimes called Epaphroditus, who planted the church. And his visit to Paul while he's in prison, he's mentioned there in verse 7. His visit to Paul is what prompted this letter. Is there any question on any introductory stuff? Just to make sure you're all tracking with me there. Okay? So he, as he does rather uh, normally in his letters, he has a thanksgiving section. And here he's thanking the Lord for that little church at Colossae. And uh, we read about that. And you'll see in verse 4 and verse 5, he's thanking them for their faith in Christ. Secondly, for the love that they have. And third, because of the hope, of the hope laid up of you in heaven. And we talked last week, I wrote that on the board. I'm not going to do that again this week. The structure of this, the grammar of this, it is their hope that produces, that generates, that energizes their faith and love. So you could you could you could translate it this way: Because of the hope laid up in heaven, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. You follow what I'm saying? Because of your hope, this is what we're seeing. And that's really, when you think about that, just very practically, the hope we have of Jesus' return, of fulfilling his promises of heaven, and all those things, should generate, energize, empower, strengthen our faith. I've said this many times. If you don't believe that Jesus is going to keep his promises to you, you don't have a very strong faith. But that he that you believe, he promised me a whole bunch of things. You can make a list of the promises that he's made to you. That that energizes your faith, and that's how Paul's doing this. And then because of that, your love for other people, the saints, as he puts it here, uh, will, will be evident as well. Do you follow what I? Do you follow the grammar of that? Does that make sense? And just practically. I think it's important for you and me in 2019 to think of it that way. My hope is focused on a person and all the promises he made to me about eternity, future, heaven, etc. Therefore, I really, I really do believe that I can trust him. And therefore, because I know he's coming back and I want to hear him say, well done, I, I, I will love to say that's kind of how Paul structured it. <clears throat> of this, you heard before, in the word of truth, that is the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit, and growing, and so you just you kind of see an interesting little, just an interesting little bunny trail, that he inserts here. You responded to the truth of the gospel, and you know what throughout the whole world. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Now, when Paul used the word whole world in, you know, in the AD 60s when he wrote the letter, um, he meant the Mediterranean world. I mean, you know, he, they didn't understand anything about the Western Hemisphere. They understood nothing about Greenland If you follow the news, that should be a joke. But anyway, they didn't know about those things. So the whole world was his world. But by extension, we can say that applies to anyone who reads this in the last 2,000 years. They'll understand whole world in the context of the whole world. So you and I have the advantage of we understand the whole world. And I'm sure you've heard this. In the last 30 years, more people have come to know Jesus Christ, both in terms of raw numbers as well as proportion in the history of the church. Amen. Now that should be, wow, I don't hear that on the news at night. Even of all stations that should report it, Fox News doesn't even report that. You know, and they should, but, you know, rarely did they report those things. It's just, it's one of, despite all of the negative and and heart wrenching and horrible things you hear in the news, I always say to Peggy, you know, I always am drawn to one fact, Matthew sixteen. Jesus said, I will build my church. That's his priority. And despite everything Putin and she and everybody else is doing, she, Jinping, you know, President of China is what I meant by that. God, God's program is still on track. He's still building his church. And if if we're to understand the reports accurately, which I have no reason not to, some of the fastest growing areas of the church, that is where it's growing, is in northern Iraq, the fringes of Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, Iran and Afghanistan, uh, parts of Syria, which is unbelievable. Because when people are pushed to the end, the gospel will most touch them because they're vulnerable. They have nowhere else to turn. Now, it isn't the only place where it's growing, but it's really an amazing thing. So Paul's just making that uh, that, that comment. As it did among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now, that is a powerful phrase. You should underline that, or struggle, or do something, just so that it highlights. You've heard And you've understood the grace of God in truth. Let's take that apart. Because that term truth that ends verse 6 should cause your eye to go up to the end of verse 5. The word of truth that is the gospel. So the context of the meaning of truth in verse 6 is the gospel, the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is all about Jesus, all about what he did, all about what he accomplished. And Paul connects that to the grace of God. I don't know um, if, I think most of you are familiar with his name, uh, I'm sure, Charles Swindoll or Chuck Swindoll. In my inbox every morning, I have a little devotional thing from him. You can sign up for it, any one of you if you want to sign up for it. Just go to Insight for Living, and you can sign up for it. But the last three weeks or so, Swindoll's daily devotionals have been on grace. And it taken from his book, The Grace Awakening. And I mean, it's just, I mean, it is, I mean, I've read his book a couple of times. I've recommended it to dozens over the years. But it's just so refreshing to read some of that again. Swindoll keeps driving home in these little devotionals in that book. And if you've ever heard him preach, he really stresses this that the grace of God is the most dynamic element of Christianity. God's grace. And then he says how we should live by grace. And to live by grace is to experience the freedom in Christ. And to live by grace enables you to get along with other people. Where even in in a grace-filled life, you learn to sometimes agree to disagree with people. And you're able to get along with people. You're able to be a peacemaker. I mean, it's just the practical elements of the grace of God is what Swindoll stresses. And Paul is is stressing, you heard it, and you understand it.
1: Now, he's saying this to a church that has, is fraught with some weaknesses, too. And what do you, how do you see that? into the overall book of Colossians.
0: <clears throat> Wherever there is even one Christian, there's evidence of the amazing grace of God. Amen. And there isn't one here. There are presumably dozens, maybe a hundred, maybe a hundred and fifty It would not have been very large at that time he wrote the letter. But he's just saying, you know, <clears throat> another way of saying it would be yeah, two things I'm always struck by. One is the Bible tells us that every time someone trusts Christ, there's a party in heaven. I'm serious. It says the angels rejoice when someone comes to Christ, and so that's one thing. That's grace. The second thing is that um, as you as you understand what the grace of God means in salvation and how absolutely thrilling this is to the heavenly halls with all the angels. The other thing you you really come to understand is that every single individual who trusts Christ is a trophy of God's grace. I mean, this is is how Max Licata takes. God puts, is now a trophy on his trophy case, and that's you. And God's trophy case is growing. And it tells us in the book, I think it's the book of Ephesians, that there's coming at, at the end of time that God will hold us up as trophies of his grace for all the angels to see. Because the Bible also tells us that the angels don't understand what God's doing. And I mean, it's not an election, because they, they have no need of redemption. And they can't, you know, it's just, they're awestruck by what God is doing in his program of redemption. And so Paul keeps driving us back to, in his writings. He drives us back to this. So even if there is only one person in Colossae that knows Jesus Christ, they've come to understand his grace. And so he he wants to correct them. He wants to admonish them. But that's coming up. He wants to affirm that it's all about grace. And you understood that. And you embraced that. Okay, you ought to write yourself a little note and put it on the refrigerator. I am a trophy of God's grace. Put it there because that is absolutely true.
2: Uh,
0: by Swindoll, yeah, the Grace Awakening. <laughs> it is a magnificent book, Jim. I mean, it is—it is, it is uh, a wonderful book. Just as you learned it, what did they learn? This is why, where we are pretty certain, he's saying, it is Epaphras who planted the church there. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. Now, he's the probably the head of the church, the pastor of the church, whatever, Colossae, who has come to visit Paul in prison, which is why Paul writes this letter. He just says of him, he's a faithful minister of Christ, on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Takes you back to verse 4. Your love in the Spirit. You could translate that your love energized by the Spirit, or your love by the Spirit. In other words, and that, of course, you know that, love is a fruit of the Spirit. And that's what Paul said, the love in the Spirit, the love that comes from the Holy Spirit who indwells you. It's a magnificent statement as well. So he has much to thank the Lord about with Colossae, despite all of its challenges, which we'll read about in a little bit. He has much to thank the Lord for. It. I think that's an important thing for us to remember. Um, anywhere the gospel is is beginning to penetrate a culture. in other words, people are coming to know Christ wherever it is, the first thing we should do is thank the Lord for that. Despite the shortcomings, the lack of training, the lack of education, that there may be, I mean, one of the greatest challenges is the African church right now, because the African church is just exploding. There's so many problems there. But the African church is exploding. But the biggest problem is they don't have a lot of trained leaders. You know, and they really don't have a lot of trained leaders. If you don't have a lot of trained leaders, you have the potential for error to creep into the church false teaching to creep into the church. So that's why it's so critically important that we somehow be involved in, in helping to get trained leaders in, the, in these little churches. But anyway. All right. The Thanksgiving section is over.
2: And the next section
0: is encouragement. Yeah. It's an incredible prayer. It really is. Now, if you will, if you want to, take this little sheet that I gave you. that I took time to do this a while ago, actually, when I was teaching this somewhere else. But I I came away after I was studying this. It goes back now several years ago. You know, I really want people, at that time and now I want you guys, to really understand this prayer. And so what I'd like to do is read the prayer, and then we're going to come back and using this, we're going to take it apart. Because the only way to really understand the prayer... Uh, please let me say this. To really understand the prayer is to understand the grammar of the prayer. You follow? There's a structure to this. And that is really hard because today most of us studied grammar maybe we were in high school, maybe ninth grade or tenth grade was the last time you had English grammar. And increasingly in our schools they don't even teach English grammar anymore. But anyway, and you sort of remember things like participles and nouns and verbs and purpose clauses. But you know, to put it together, man, I have to show dust off the cobwebs of the mind, i got to hire somebody to come in and clean out my mind. To even vaguely remember what that means. So I'm going to try to dust off some of this and, and help you to see the magnificence of this prayer. And the second thing is, once, men, we don't pray like that. We don't pray like Paul prayed. So let me read it. And so, from the day we heard meaning all that Epaphras had shared with him, all that he just told us about, verses 3 through 8. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That's the main part of the prayer. What is he praying? Heavenly Father, fill the Colossian church with the knowledge of your will. How are they filled with the knowledge of his will? with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, with this, this intended result, so that you may walk in a manner worthy, O Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light, has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. I mean, this is, the most, this is one of the most astonishing prayers of the Bible. It is filled with doctrinal truth. It's filled with exhortations and challenges that should shake us in our boots. And may I also add, This is the kind of prayer we should be praying for our children. That we'll see our kids exhibiting this. So let's take this and I'm going to make a lot of comments about it but this by this I mean the handout I gave you. This is intended for you to see the structure of the prayer. Then I added a few notes here and there and I'll add some more as we talk. So it's, it's really remarkable. He says, we have not ceased to pray for you. I'm always struck by Paul's prayer life. What does that mean? We have not ceased to pray for you. Is this a guy who is 24-7 praying? Well, we know that's not true because he was busy doing lots of other things. So whatever he means by that exactly is, Prayer, prayer to Paul, was an ongoing, continuous conversation with God. Last night, our daughter was over at our, our house and dinner and all that, and she said, "You know, Dad, I, I'm really, I'm really learning. I'm really learning the value of praying to God all through the day, not just in my devotional time in the morning." Now I don't know how something like that would strike you as a dad but that was like oh my goodness so I tried not to get excited I tried not, I wouldn't I want to leap up in the in my chair and run around the house and but just that's just evidence of what you all want to see in your kid spiritual growth spiritual growth so Paul I'm not cease praying I'm an ongoing continual conversation with the Lord and every time The Colossian church came into his mind. Not only when he's praying in his devotional time or whatever. They come into his mind, he prays for them. And what is he praying? Father, this is a young church. It's a new church. They're undergoing enormous pressure. There are false teachers in their midst trying to rip them apart. So, Father, my prayer for them is that they will be filled with the knowledge of your will. That's a tremendous prayer, isn't it? That's the main prayer. Father, fill them with the knowledge of your will. Now, I used to tell my students, who would always ask me the question, what's the will of God for my life? And when they asked that question, it was usually two or three things on their mind. Number one. Will of God, from, I'm about ready to graduate and I'm not sure what I'm going to do. So that's one. That's a big, huge, decision. good thing to pray about. Second, I've been dating this girl for three and a half years. We're getting near the end of graduation. I'm thinking about asking her to marry, should I do that? You know, that, those kinds of big things. And my response always, well, you know, it's really interesting that you pray for the will of God. 96% of God's will for your life is already revealed. Now, I'd I pull that percentage out of thin air. I, I don't know, if, you know. But it's really interesting. You go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you, Paul says to the Thessalonians, the will of God for your life is that you be sanctified. Now, we've talked about sanctification. That's a, that's a big... But that think of how much that includes, that the will of God is that you be sanctified. How much does that include? That's a huge swath of your life. <laughs> so it's like... You know, the will of God isn't one of these mysterious ethereal things that you know you somehow mystically through some gastronomic feeling that may have more to do with your indigestion than God really moving. You know, it's it's just this daily understanding of what is God's will for my life. So if you are trying to discern God's will and you spend no time in his word, I'm not sure you're going to be too attuned to that. That's why he adds, and this ESV translates it, in all spiritual wisdom, you could translate that with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's why on the chart, I have two little arrows. Understanding the will of God, having a knowledge of the will of God, insists upon spiritual wisdom and insists upon understanding. In other words, the source of spiritual wisdom is the book that you have, well, some of you, like I do, just have notes, but the book that's in front of you, and the result of coming to terms with that spiritual wisdom is understanding. Both of those words, wisdom and understanding, are all through the wisdom literature of the Bible. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Psalms, and to some extent, Job. So it isn't some osmosis, mystical thing. It's the spiritual wisdom and knowledge that comes from understanding what God has said. Knowledge of his will is understanding what he's already said. And what he said is in the Bible. And that requires spiritual wisdom and understanding. So what he's really saying, because this is in light of the problem that there is at Colossae. Now you can understand why he's praying this. But the one thing they really need is knowledge of your will sourced in your revelation that is gained through spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom and understanding is a great antidote to impulsive decision-making. Do you understand what I mean by that sentence? Spiritual wisdom and understanding is a great antidote to impulsive decision-making. Do you know what I mean by that? You just impulsively act. A wise person rarely impulsively acts. Now, sometimes, I mean, you, you know, you're in a crisis. You've got to decide. But I'm talking about you're, 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 the typical wise person is not a person of impulse. I need to think about this. I need to work through this. I need, I need the wisdom and discernment that comes from God. Discernment is insight into the consequences of our choices. So you start to say, okay, So what Paul is saying, Lord, these people need help. They're in the midst of a crisis. They're false teachers banging at their doors. They're challenging everything that's doctrinally sound. I want them to have the knowledge of your will, which is sourced in spiritual wisdom and understanding that comes from your revelation. Yeah.
1: Um, Comparing ourselves with others as far as Spiritual growth and spiritual insight is probably not productive.
0: Terrible! It's a terrible way to live.
1: And, and so, then we ought to be thinking about where we came from and where we are today, maybe, and how God is using that as as we are encouraged by seeing what God has done in our own lives and what the future holds as we continue to pursue him. I mean, can you... Because I think a lot of people get discouraged. I'm not a Billy
0: Graham. I'm not a... Yeah. I'm not a whatever. Well, yeah, not... Don't put me there in that category. But it's the idea of the worst thing you can do in spiritual growth is to compare yourself with others. I mean, other spiritual leaders, spiritual people. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have and that's why I'm trying to hedge a little bit, that doesn't mean we don't have good spiritual role models. Paul tells various churches he writes to, mimic me, because I'm mimicking Christ. So, I mean, But he's not talking there about his success. He's talking about the spiritual fruit. Mimic, what are my priorities? I, I'm telling you that. I'm trying to live that. I become someone that you can understand this about. Priorities, how you're modeling spiritual growth and, and spiritual priorities like fruit of the spirit and so on but to compare yourself well i'm not billy grammar i'm talking to millions and he, he's with the lord now but millions and millions of people what an impact he's making i'll never do that well ninety nine point nine 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 percent of believers are never going to do that but your impact can be on the people across the street your children your grandchildren your spouse your extended family etc and, and so It's seeing, you know, the... Maxwell Cato always says, God has uniquely created you, uniquely gifted you, for unique ministry that only you can do. So, I mean, you've got to fit, you have to filter that through. That means self-understanding. I have to understand who I am in Christ. Well, that's all about the Bible. Uniquely gifted, that means you have to get busy and start serving and start to understand where your gifts are. And then you begin to understand what God wants you to do, a unique ministry you only can do. I mean, you've heard me, t- we've talked about this before. There are some Sunday school teachers that have been faithfully teaching little children <clears throat> for decades. Unique gifts, unique situation, unique ministry. I'm telling you, some of those Sunday school teachers have made a greater impact than some pastors because they have taught hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of little kids the things of the Bible. And you know, that no matter what, kids never forget that stuff. I still can remember, now you don't even know what these are, but I still can remember flannel grass stories when I was in Sunday school. I still remember them. I can still, I still have my mind's eye that final graph of Daniel and the lion's death. I still remember that. And that was, you know, I'm the oldest person in this room. So, I mean, that was really a long time ago. Television wasn't even invented yet. No, I'm just kidding. But you know what I mean. But it's, I hope I've answered your question. Yes, thanks. Do, do you have any question or any a, a lack of clarity or anything you want to ask me about verse 9? Do you understand verse 9? That's a great prayer for you. As a matter of fact, if we don't have time today, we'll do it next week. But I want to pray this prayer for us, each one of us. I want to pray this prayer. But that, you know, just think about it. That's a great prayer for each one of us. Father, fill me with the knowledge of your will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Fill me with that. So it
2: is wisdom that he's writing about here is the is that bestowed on us by God or is it the result of the human initiative and studying the word of God intervening in our lives or can you need success i pray for you to have wisdom understand God's will for your life. What
0: well again I, I think because of the way these terms are used in the Old Testament I would paraphrase this, the knowledge of the real, sourced in spiritual wisdom and sourced in understanding of your word, of your revelation. What have you revealed to us about you, your plans, et cetera, et cetera. And so, Jim, it, to, it, to me, and I think, I think I can be dogmatic about this, spiritual wisdom and understanding without immersing your heart, soul, and mind in the word of God is not going to come or putting it very positively, it comes through spending time in God's Word, where the Word of God is a priority in your life. However, whatever that means specifically in your typical day, typical week, typical month, or whatever. But that, that, is, that is the source of spiritualism and understanding. Any um, different
2: perspective, I mean, from your personal study, from listening to Pastor the Radio, maybe, from your pastor at church, I mean, all of those things build your understanding.
0: Of course, of course, because I know I know the church you go to, you are hearing the Word of God exposited. That's another source of wisdom and understanding. You listen to radio messages. That's another source, because it's the Word of God being communicated to you, explained to you, helping you to apply. So, so that's why I, I'm using other things I've talked about before, but Jim, and that's why I think each one of us has to have a strategy for holiness and a strategy for this. In other words, how am I going to, how am I going to acquire this spiritual wisdom and understanding from God's word? Well, it is important to be in church and, and be a part of the ministry of church. But also, I mean, other sources, what am I reading? And it doesn't mean you, all you do is read theology books. No, that's not what it means, but... Is reading certain things that give us insight into the Word of God important? Yeah, it probably is. Um, what do I listen to on the radio? In my car and so on. Is it part of my strategy to maybe have talk radio where you're hearing sermons or, you know, where it's, it's giving you again God's Word? A, it's those kinds of strategies that you have to be intentional about because it does not happen by osmosis. It just it doesn't happen. I don't care what people say. The New Age idea of it, no, it absolutely does not happen that way. So it requires an intentionality about it. And I mean, you're coming to a Bible study like this, that's another source of it. At least I want it to be. I hope it is. And it's so am I answering your question? It, it's, it's really important for us to, to look at holistically our day, our week, our month. How, how are we availing our heart and mind and soul? To the spiritual wisdom and understanding sourced in God's Word. How how am I availing myself of that? You
2: know, my, my wife and I have just relatively recently started listening to a, I guess you call it a devotional, mm. night before we go to sleep. Now, we don't always make it to the end of the devotional. <laughs> but we were talking last night about how wonderful it is to begin
0: your day in the Word like that. Isn't it. Isn't it a fantastic thought? You fall asleep at night listening to the things of God. Don't feel guilty about falling asleep in the That's a great way to go to sleep. What do I? Who cares? You know, if you see the whole you hear the whole thing, great. If not, you're going to sleep hearing the word of God. I mean, that's what a wonderful way to go to sleep. I had I had, a, I had years ago when I was involved more in youth ministry. I don't do it when I'm too old. Who wants to hear a 72-year-old preach? Nobody does that in the youth ministry. So I don't do that kind of thing. But I used to say to him, you know, I had one gal, she was felt so guilty in the youth. She would fall asleep praying. And my response to her, why are you feeling guilty about that? What a beautiful way to go to sleep, talking to the Lord. Why do you feel guilty about that? I mean, you know, it's just instead of, to me, feeling guilty about that is a great tool of Satan. See, you blew it again. You disappointed God again. Look at how you failed again. Instead of the way God probably looks at it, my child is talking to me as my child falls asleep at night. Which do you think is God's perspective? You failed again, or my child fell asleep talking to me. Which one do you think is God's perspective? And so that's that's a fantastic way to, to again, spiritual wisdom and understanding, gaining knowledge of the Word of God. Fantastic. Glad to hear you guys are doing that. Can I move on? Man, I'm really getting excited. I'm getting warm, too. All right. Now, verse 10 moves us into the purpose, or you even could maybe say the intended result. It's hard to know where the line of purpose and result is. But, and, and you'll notice I put this in, the, in brackets there. Knowledge of the will of God through spiritual wisdom and understanding produces transformed character. And there are two elements there's two elements that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and second you'll be fully pleasing to him so the intended purpose or the intended result or the purpose result of the prayer is transform character that the knowledge of God's will it comes through spiritual wisdom and understanding will change you. Isn't that what this is all about? Will change you. And the first thing is, first item is, now just look at look at look at the breadth of this, the all-inclusiveness of this. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now the Greek word for walk is peripeteo. I know you're really glad I told you that. But the reason I say that is that is, the, that is the term for the normal walk of life. This isn't some extraordinary supernatural walk. That your walk, your normal walk of life, the normal things of your life will be worthy of the Lord. In other words, you're walking according to the same standard that Jesus has to be holy as I'm holy. Now that's huge. That's an enormous, an enormous challenge for us. But that was God's that was God's goal for Israel. That is God's goal for the church. That our daily norm the norm of my life will be a worthy walk before the Lord. Now what would now he doesn't deal with it, he doesn't explain this in detail at this point, but it would be things like the fruit of the Spirit, wouldn't it? The Beatitudes. I'm just thinking of two places where there are some itemized lists of things like that. And then be be fully pleasing to him. And I wrote there in in the chart, will anticipate and do as he wishes. So, I mean, another way of saying that is you're walking in loving obedience with him. That's pleasing to the Lord. So, I mean, is it... Is it legitimate for us, when we think of transformed character, to want to please our Heavenly Father? like, duh. Yeah. To please Him. And you know, the closer we walk with Him, I often put it, the tighter our hand is gripping His, the more difficult it will be for us to get off the track, the tighter we're holding on to him, the the, the more firm our grip of his hand, the the more um, the more we committed, more committed we are to dependence on him and yieldedness to him. The less we will get off the track and be displeasing to him. <laughs> These are strategic moments of silence to let you sink deep into your mind and heart and percolate up any questions. (laughs) Do you follow, again, do you follow the grammatical connection between verse nine and verse 10? The prayer is they be filled with the knowledge of God's will through spiritual wisdom and understanding. The purpose of the prayer is transform character.
1: So you're saying if we seek God, we will find him, and he will be with us, he will commune with us, he will transform with us, his will.
0: And he will transform us. He, transform. he will transform us. Okay? And just again. Isn't <laughs> it like such an
2: impossible thing to walk in a manner
0: worthy of him, does Yes. It is impossible. It is impossible. The Christian life is absolutely impossible. Except in our growing dependence on the Lord through his Holy Spirit, who empowers, enables, changes us, changes our attitude, changes our mind, changes our heart. But you're right. It is. But you know, Jim, the, the, the neat thing about God is he never lowers the bar of what he wants for us. Yet he gives us all the resources to reach the bar. But it's a process that takes all of our... I mean, it's all of those things that we've talked about over and over, just factoring all of those into our understanding. But, you know, um, and I think every one of you around the table would agree with this. Even though this is an enormous challenge, walking a matter worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, Is there any other, can you think of any other way you really would want to live? Because I don't know about you, but I know what my life was like before I came to know Christ. And I do not want to go back to that. That was a long time ago. It was in 72 before I came to the Lord. But I don't want to go back to that. So have I fallen and stumbled a lot in walking in a worthy manner of the Lord? Uh, 402-8702 is my wife's cell phone. Call her up, she'll tell you. All of the times I've stumbled and fallen in the last 50 years that we've been married. But at the same time, she would probably, if I'm hoping she would say this, she'll also say, Jim's a lot different now than he was when I first married him. By different, I hope that would be understood in a positive way. (laughs) And I'm saying all that because, as you know, your spouse is going to be the one that's most honestly going to be to tell people what you're really like. You know, because they see you when you wake up in the morning, they see you when you go to bed at night, they see you when you hit your finger with a hammer, and all those wonderful things that happen in life. Now we're only going to get started with this, but take a, again take a look at the chart. <clears throat> now here's where the grammar of this is so important to understand it. What does a life that's pleasing to the Lord look like? There are four participles. Now again, I mean you have to you'd really have to go back and dust off the cobwebs of your mind and remember what a participle is but it usually introduces a phrase that modifies a particular verb. you sort of remember some of that? It's modifying. And so what it's doing is that what is pleasing? Bearing fruit, growing in the knowledge of God, being strength of all power, joyfully giving thanks. So a life that's pleasing. Now, the the Apostle Paul isn't just arbitrarily pulling things out of the air. These, These have scriptural support strong biblical support. This is the kind of thing God is doing in our lives. But four participles describe, they're called manner participles, but four participles that describe a life that's pleasing to the Lord. So first, and we'll only get started with this, bearing fruit in every good work. Okay, where would you go, that word fruit, where would you go... To see the kinds of fruit that God wants to bear in our lives, Galatians chapter five, verse twenty-two and twenty-three, those nine quality traits called the fruit of the Spirit, bearing fruit. There we go: the love, joy, peace, patience. I mean, all of those. Is that pleasing to the Lord? Absolutely, because it is the Holy Spirit. Who is producing this in our lives? And you start. Huh? Galatians 5 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit. There are nine quality traits there. And so, okay. So, what's pleasing to my Heavenly Father is he sees me bearing fruit love, joy, peace, patience, etc.
2: Two weeks ago, when we were looking in Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 16, I think it was, we talked about doing good and sharing and pleasing to the Lord. Is it
0: the same concept? Same, the concept. same concept. Same mm-hmm. concept. Very much so. Same concept. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it's because all of those elements in the fruit of the Spirit, Jim, and I know you know this, <coughs> all of those elements are basically relational. They're, they're how you're going to relate to and serve and minister to other people. I mean, you know, love is an intensely relational world. word. And if you never, ever, ever have contact with any other human being, it's going to be very difficult, and that's a stupid way to put it, but very difficult to really exhibit manifest agape. You can't do that. It's a very... I think
2: you uh... said Pleasing
0: like a sweet savor. Exactly. It's an Save Old Testament it word. Yes, it, it's the same way. It's an Old Testament a word that goes back to the Levitical material. The sweet savor offerings to the Lord. It's a sweet smell in his nostrils. <laughs> it's so think about it is. I mean, it's just, you know, how pleasing it is to... Just think of your children. Think of your children. Isn't it pleasing to you as you watch them grow, to increasingly be exhibiting more positive things in their life than negative things in their life. Now, that doesn't happen in the teen years. You know, that's everything. <laughs> everything blows up in those teen years. The United States of America and its developmental psychology developed the concept of adolescence. It didn't exist before that. But I reached the conclusion um, when my uh, we have two children my son crossed in that, that adolescence is a disease. I, I really I do think it is. It's a disease. It, it's rarely fatal to the child but it's often fatal to the parent. It's, it's a horrible, horrible thing to go through and I'm exaggerating obviously but there is I'm saying just think of and that's the privilege we have as believers is to call God Father. How pleasing it is to God when he sees us being transformed, when he sees us changing for his glory, when he sees us exhibiting love, joy, peace—that's pleasing to him. That sweet savor, aroma, that goes up to heaven. He breathes it in. You know, I mean, God doesn't do that. It's anthropomorphic language, but it's just a wonderful thought. You know, you. you you, you want to say this. Do our children delight in pleasing us? Well, it depends. But for the most part, mostly, the answer is yes. Do you delight in pleasing your Heavenly Father? I hope you want to say yes. yes. So this passage gives you an illustration of what that means very practically. To be pl- To please our Heavenly Father is to bear the fruit of his Holy Spirit. That's pleasing to him. Well, I'm, I'm wondering if I shouldn't stop um, because I'm, I'm only getting started. Maybe I will stop rather than try to rush another one in here. So next week I want to pick up right with, I'll probably go through bearing fruit again, but pick right up with these four participles and then we'll go back and put it all together and pray for one another using this prayer. It's a great prayer. We, I, I'm, it'll probably take us all of out the next hour to get through it because there's much to, to deal with yet. Great prayer, isn't it? Really wonderful prayer of the Bible. Let me pray for you all. Father, we're thankful for the Word of God. Thank you for this passage we're studying. Thank you for the thankful spirit of Paul for the Colossians. Uh, a little church and a little community that was having major problems, but they still were a source of much thanksgiving, love and joy, uh, the love and the, the faith and the hope that he saw in that little church. And even the, the challenges they had what Epiphras reported to Paul was a delight to him. And then he prays this quite astonishing prayer. Lord, I do pray for each one of us that you will fill us with the knowledge of your will through spiritual wisdom and understanding that's sourced in your word. It doesn't come from anywhere else. And I just pray for these men that they will make that a priority, regardless of their age, regardless of how long they've walked with the Lord. We all can grow in the knowledge of your will. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for the the wonderful truth of sanctification which is a process of you conforming us into the image of our of your dear son we're all on that same pathway we're all in the same process no matter how long we've walked with the world with the lord we're still not there yet we won't be until you come back for us or we go to be with you but that means we, we keep growing and we keep seeking to bear the fruit that you wish for us to bear and we're pleasing to you I've often said to my, to my wife, as we've talked many, many times, to just seek to please the Lord is a great goal for life. So I pray for these men, and for myself as well, that throughout our day, throughout our week, throughout our month, throughout our years, one of our priorities is, Lord, I want to please you. I don't want to be in rebellion against you. I don't want to do that which is displeasing to you. Help me to have that as a priority. And we'll study more about that next week. I pray for these men and all their responsibilities, their work, uh, the people they may supervise, their families, their children, their spouse, whatever the context might be. God, we are men that you've uniquely gifted, you've uniquely saved, you've uniquely placed us in a place where you have unique ministries for us, regardless of our age. We're important to you. You bear your image, you, you rescued us from Satan, You gave us a new life, and you have purposes for us regardless of where we are in our lives. We want to serve you and represent you, so help us to do that well in Christ's name.